Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. James Carney. He is a pastor in Seattle, and we're going to talk about what has been going on in Seattle and his ministry there, which is really fascinating what's been happening. There's kind of a revival there, but we're also going to talk about his story and how um, when he was a student at Yale in 1979, he had this very dramatic encounter with God and it changed his whole life. And there's a lot of other really fascinating aspects of his story. So I'm excited to welcome James Carney. But first, a word from our sponsor. But look around you, your family, your faith. They're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Welcome. Well, so good to be here with you, Beckett. So good to have you. And so before we get into what's going on in Seattle and mm-hmm. your ministry up there and what you've seen over the years, let's talk about your story because <laughs> you had a kind of a crazy experience when you were a student at Yale and mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s. And I think it was 1979 when this happened. Talk about that experience. Maybe talk about, uh, I think, because you were in the singing group, right? You were in this acapella men's singing group that was very, um, it was like a very elite singing group. It's a big deal at Yale to to be in this group. Mm -hmm. And you traveled the world. But talk talk about that experience and what happened. Because were you, were you raised in a Christian home? Uh, like you, I was raised Roman Catholic. Okay. And then, yeah. And uh, and so I was raised going to church, and I actually met God uh, the night that I was confirmed at 12 years old. I had a spiritual experience. I wasn't just going through the motions. God whisked me up to the heavenly throne room, and as the nun was preparing these students that we were down in the basement getting ready to go see the bishop upstairs, I was standing before Jesus Christ, and I made this very sincere profession of faith. And that is where my faith became real for me. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, it was neat. I, I don't know if anyone else experienced that because as Catholics, of course, you don't really talk about your faith. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and and now you're a Presbyterian, which is funny. But let's. Well, that is funny. That's another story. That's yeah. another story. So, so between uh, then and Yale, um, I I kind of went up and down with my faith um, because I, I, I it didn't follow up with discipleship, um, and that was really the missing piece. Uh, and I found myself kind of saying yes to everybody. And what tends to happen, especially when the devil is scheming and trying to cut off anything fruitful in your life, uh, I ended up kind of going in a descending uh, pattern of saying, always going to church on Sunday, but partying more and more. And it was sort of your generic, sort of. it was the 70s, and it was sort of a, a time where there didn't seem to be any consequence to drugs or sex or you know, the sort of garden variety stuff. It was, uh, but then in this group, the Whiff and Poops, uh, one of our members... Wait, was, repeat the name of the group because it's a funny name. Oh, it is a funny name. Uh, it's so funny that uh, it's called the Whiff and Poops. The Whiff and Poops. And it's a fantastical name. It goes back to 1909. Uh, it is like the... There's this whole tradition of acapella men's singing throughout the Ivy Leagues. All, all, and, and other other countries, the Stanford Mendicants, the Princeton Tiger Tones, the, the Harvard Crocodillos, you know, the Colgate Swinging Gate. The Colgate, yeah, the Colgate, the, that group came, that acapella group came to my high school when I was a Jesuit oh. in Dallas. They, like, I remember oh. they came a couple of years in a row. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I and the Whiff and Poos was sort of the top of the top. In fact, if you, you can even, they're so famous. They've been to the White House. Uh, they've been to Saturday Night. They went to Saturday Night Live. They were in the West Wing. They were um, even, <laughs> they even have a parody done on uh the simpsons where it is just absolutely hysterical anyway but this was the group that was the most unlikely group at yale to for jesus to be at work i mean our 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 symbol our, our mascot was a dragon with two mint leaves with his tail wrapped around a swizzle stick we were not known for holiness <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of a party group sort of it was a party group and it was a good time in group and we, we would sing and drink and get drunk and, you know, and it was all about us. We were gentlemen songsters off in a spree, uh, as the whip and poof song goes. Um, but then, uh, the biggest drunk in the group became this born again Christian the year before our senior year. And it's, it's just a one year group. It's just a senior group. And he began talking about Jesus all the time. And a number of us ended up either repenting or uh, meeting Jesus for the first time. And so it became this little mini revival in 1979. It was very, very unusual. How many of you, were there like five of you that became Christians? It ended up being five, five, which is interesting because, you know, now it's been so many years since 1979. I've seen those lives and the direction they've taken. Um, and I've also seen a number of them taken out. Um, but the ones that have remained, and there's three of us that remain. Uh, there was actually a total of six of us back in the day. But the three of us that remain um, are really very, you know, dedicated. Uh, I've got one guy who's uh, uh, he trains leaders to start uh, churches and unreached people groups. Um, I've got another guy who was uh, actually he was either the stockbroker slash uh, symphony conductor. He's had a storied career but are very strong in their faith. But I have another group of people. There's another three uh, who have their faith is shipwrecked. And mm. it's been, uh, 
anyway, uh, cautionary. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about, so what happened when you had this experience that you, when you were in the Whiffin Poofs? Okay. Well, what happened, we were, we were doing a round the world tour and these, you get these tickets from Pan Am where as long as you go in the same direction, that's a, an old airline that's no longer around, but they had these round the world tickets for one price is as long as you go in one direction, you could take any flights until you came back to where you started. So we started JFK and went West and went to the West coast and then all through uh, Asia and then Europe and then, um, and then came back to the United States. But the very first stop was Los Angeles. We went to Los Angeles and San Francisco. And there, my best friend, um, who I used to run with, his, his, his group job was called the apothecary. So you can just imagine the kind of things we used to get into. So he just provided the drugs for everyone? He was, and I was his right-hand man. Mm. Um, and uh yeah so what's the expression uh every saint has a past and every sinner has a future yes I like <laughs> so that. This, was, this was part of it uh and he i found out that he came to faith and uh, i was like what because he went to a little this little bible study um off between concerts i was like well if he is saved then i need to repent and I did, and I went back to this Bible study, and I had them um, lay hands on me, and I repented of my sins, and they filled me. I got filled with the Spirit, and my life just took off. I mean, I, I felt like I'd been had one foot on the dock and one foot on the the boat, the Jesus boat. And then at this point, I said, "That's it. I'm all in." And that was the big break. That was when really my life took off with Jesus. Wow! And then, and then you had this amazing experience in Italy uh, where you fasted for three days. Can you talk about that experience? Sure. Yeah. You've really done your research. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. So we were still singing. We were still gentlemen songsters off in a spree. And so there was quite a bit of eating and drinking uh, along with Bible studies. And I also got the gift of tongues on the plane ride between Los Angeles and, and Japan. That was interesting. Very non, very, very undramatic. But uh, when we finally got to London, I was done. And I said, I'm just going to, our next gig is in uh, Spoleto, Italy. So for a, a music festival, I said, so I'm going to just, as a good Catholic boy, I'm going to pray and fast because I needed to. Um, I'd never done this before. And I'm going to go to uh, Assisi because that's where St. Francis is from. And it was there after two and a half days of fasting, reading a, a, a biography of St. Francis, that I really felt God calling me on the same call, which is to go and rebuild my house for it's fallen into ruin. Um, and also to make a break with my father that, that I have now my father in heaven and I need to let his values and the kingdom values really um, be the ones that guide my life. Uh, and that was, and that's, that's what literally happened from that time. I, I I've been involved with church renewal ever since. We'll be right back after this short break. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. 
we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And when, did you, when you made the... Did you actually tell your father that you needed to make a break with him? Or how did that work out? What an interesting question. I, I've never thought about that. Um <laughs> I, I did something better because, you know, they say speak, actions speak louder than words. Um, so I came back to the United States and I was going to be an actor in New York City. That was my big plan. And, you know, my parents were very excited about that. And I had the whole thing set up. I had a job in the Vivian Beaumont Theater. I had a, an angel that was providing financial support and also uh, entree to these various you know places. And I came home and I said, I'm going to pray about it uh, before I go up. My parents were like, OK, you know, um, we didn't talk about this sort of thing, but, but when I prayed about it, God was very clear to me. He said, you're not, don't. He said, you're making a league of, with people that are not of your spirit. It's not going to bring health or profit, but only shame, disgrace, and humiliation. So then I went, well, what do I do? And I sensed the Lord saying, you need to come follow me. So then I had to go home and tell my parents, Right. And also the people up in New York, which had some very interesting and gospel conversations with people where we had never talked about this stuff before. Um, and that provided that started 15 years with me and my dad, basically, and my mother, too, um, being in conflict because what happened was that I had jumped off of this career track of being part of the new generation that was going to lead things. Because when you go to an Ivy League, there's and I'd gone to a prep school before that, there's a tremendous privilege, but there's all this, this also this tremendous sense of expectation that mm-hmm. to, to whom much is given, much is expected. And and so I was really taking that very seriously. And, um, and it led us into conflict because my value system now was one that he didn't understand at all. So. And so what, so what happened next? Because you, uh, so when the, the New York thing was oh, out, out of, uh, you know, was, when that was gone, you ended up, uh, becoming a carpenter for 15 years, I think 15 years, right? Yeah, for 15 like when, years. Yeah, how that did, was so, yeah. What happened with that? that and your parents, your parents were probably not that pleased about this. They were, they were horror struck that their Yale graduate was now working as a carpenter's helper, rebuilding poor black people's homes in Atlanta, right? This is, that's where it first ended up. Because what's interesting is that, of course, it started out with the conversation with my dad. Okay, you're not going to New York. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's sort of like, what? (laughs) And so there's practical questions like, well, where are you going to live? And I was like, well, I don't know. Could I live in my room? Again, wrong answer. Um, and then what are you going to do for a living? And I said, I'm not sure, but God will let me know. Again, he didn't have answers to these. He didn't have responses to these answers, right? 
and there's some interesting stories that go with that. But I, you know, as an out of work, out of work actor, I, I you know, what do you do? Right. And I didn't want to wait tables. So I was looking through the one ads. That's what we used to do. Um, <laughs> you had these newspapers that were made out of paper and ink and yeah, these, like, I remember those. Jobs. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't have the internet. And, uh, and I was thinking, what do I do? And the only thing I could think of was that, uh, I, I did set carpentry for building sets and I went, Oh, I could be a carpenter's helper. And that's that I ended up doing that. And that was the way that God led. And I remember after six months, God opened up opportunities for people that started asking me to do work for them, even though I was the worst carpenter in the world. <laughs> I mean, I was a talker. I was an actor. I was a personality. I, I had no skills when it came to being practical and, 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 and and cutting boards and, and fixing light sockets and all of that. It was just, it was like a Laurel and Hardy film every day. Yet people were paying me money. Um, it was, it was, and, but it, the thing is what happened is that God was using blue collar work to train me, to prepare me because like Moses, I'd been raised in the palace and there was this call in my life to be a leader, but I wasn't ready yet after going through the palace. That was part of the education. I needed to go out into the desert for an extended period of time to complete my education so that I would be ready to begin his call. And for me, it literally is to go and rebuild my house. I rebuilt houses for 15 years to the point where when I went to seminary, I had more in common with the maintenance staff than I did with the uh, fellow students. Right. Yeah. Because at that point, I walked like a carpenter. I, I, I talked like a carpenter. I thought like a carpenter. Um, and these these sort of white collar students that had gotten overeducated, I, I, I had very little patience with them. <laughs> <laughs> and so, well, during and how long did this last? This the carpentry so, work. So it started in '79, in the fall of '79, and then um, it it ended in uh, August of 1994. And during the whole time, I mean, were you? frustrated disappointed were you or were you how did you feel during that time well after six months i'd had enough i just said god this is this is terrible you've taken everything i'm bad at you put it into a job description and you said do that for 40 hours a week i'm i'm a i'm the world's worst carpenter i mean i remember spending eight hours underneath the house trying to sweat a pipe to complete a remodel for hooking up a washing machine, just trying to get this one piece of copper. I didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm in the dark with a torch, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's and I spent literally eight hours on that. It's like it's wow. I'm so bad. Um, and and <laughs> but you know the question that God would often and there's a lot of stuff that happened during that time. That's it's a lot of things. But the thing that God would 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 always come back when I would say, "What in the world are you doing?" he would respond with, do you trust me? Do you trust me with your future? And even though my life didn't make any sense and I didn't see how any of these things fit together at the time, that really the, the underlying question was, do you trust me? And, uh, and so what's your, your choice is a binary response, either no, and I'm yeah. off the gospel train and I'm going to go and do my own thing. Thank you very much. Or maybe I don't really get it. And maybe God has a bigger picture than the one that I can see. And so I'm just going to have to go in, go along for the ride and see where it ends up. 
So as the years go on doing this um, carpentry and I mean, again, back to your parents, were, were they just, would they check in with you like every year and be like, what, what are you doing with your life? Like, what is happening? What did, what did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? I know, I know, I know. Well, um, so I actually, during that time, I also went to acting school and that's a whole other story and became a professional actor. And wait, where did you go to acting school? uh, It was uh, Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle, in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. And that's where I met my wife. So wait, is that what brought you to Seattle was the acting school? I went to, I went to, yes, I came to Seattle and went to acting school. Yes. So because you came from Atlanta, right? You were in Atlanta at the time and then you moved to Seattle for the the acting. So what was that like? My entire life fell apart. It was one, it was the most wonderful experience ever. Um, because what happened is that when, when me as a Yale student decided to follow Jesus, I figured I'd have to be the best of the best of the best. I'd have to be like St. Francis. And I didn't realize that a lot of the values from the world I had brought in to my Christian life. And I actually built my life on a bunch of shoulds. And this included getting married to a girl who, who I didn't like. And she didn't like me, but God told her that we were going to get married. And so I didn't refuse God. So we did. So she was from Seattle. That's the reason I went up there. And when I went up there and started doing acting school, we actually were missionaries for a while in India. That whole thing fell apart. And my whole life fell apart. And uh, I thought my life was over. My marriage fell apart. She actually lost her faith. Uh, and and, wow. and decided that her life wasn't the way God, it should be. So she left. She left me. I left her. Um, and it was there at 30 years old. I had another day of prayer and fasting where I just said, God, my life is over. I've made a complete and total mash of it. I've tried to follow you with all my heart and soul. And I'm sorry. I mean, and, you know, I was dramatic, too. It's an actor. of like, that's it. <laughs> And I thought it was it. I really did. I said, you know, because for an evangelical and a Catholic, right? The two things, you can be a drug dealer, you can be a serial killer, but don't get divorced. Right. That's like, that's like the one thing you, there's no, no coming back from. Right. But what happened was that after that, God began to put my life back together again. And part of it was that God led me to this little girl, the prettiest girl in school, who became a Christian right at the same time. They got a very unusual place to find a long-term relationship and even more unusual place to find Christ. But she did because Christ found her and God ended up bringing us together and we got married and started having kids. And I was an actor in Seattle. Um, and so how long were you <laughs> acting before you got into kind of full-time ministry? So uh, about six years. By the uh, by the way, why I mean, why go to Seattle for acting instead of like, for example, Los Angeles or New York? I mean, I guess well, exactly right. I know why go. I, I, mean, I was going to go to New York, then I was going to go to Los Angeles. It was because my wife, my ex-wife, my former wife, uh, was from Seattle. I put her through veterinary school in Knoxville, and then we said it's my turn. I was actually going to go to seminary, but God said, "No, you're an actor," and so I went to acting school instead. And that's why it was Seattle. I looked for an acting school. It was either the PATP program, the Professional Actors Training Program at the UW, University of Washington, or Cornish. And I actually thought Cornish 
I, every when I went to the professional actors training program, I got through the audition. The guy said, Hobbs said, I think you're great. Let's talk about what doing this. He said, but you need to understand not a single marriage has survived this program. And I was like, that's scary. So I went to Cornish actually, because I thought maybe my marriage would make it because there's such a force <laughs> rate in acting school. Um, and, but what happened was in acting school by actually doing something that I loved as opposed to doing something that I sh- thought I should do. I actually began, I found this false self fall, fell, fell to pieces and, and through the, my love of theater and love of acting, then also this girl that got brought into my life, I found a new self arise out of the ashes that was built not on should, but actually on who he created me to be. I, I remember calling my dad in the midst of all this when things were, were busting up and they were going to come, my mom and dad were going to come out and visit me. And I had to tell him that, well, you can visit me, but not her because she's no longer, she's, she's gone. And I remember my dad said, Jim, I don't know what's been going on out there, but you sound more like the old Jim that I've heard in years. And that was such an affirmation because you see, as an actor, you can, you hear your voice gives you away. You can hear the falseness in your voice, not just in your eyes and your body, but in your voice. And, and as I had gone through this sort of death and resurrection, um, my true, my, my false self had fallen away. It was full of pride. It was full of striving. It was full of, works righteousness that grace came up and actually um he was able to hear it and recognize it and that was actually part of the restoration of our relationship uh, as well that's wow. when it started to come back and so wait did you go to sem- when did you go to seminary before acting school or after no so yeah i have a backwards testimony uh carpentry <laughs> acting seminary okay right? so carpentry was all part of the renovation program Acting, we needed to burn down what I had built and then have the death and rebirth. Then finally, I was ready for seminary. So I was actually, uh, it was, that was in 94. Um, and, uh, and my, it's interesting. God even told my wife, uh, before I went, God had spoken to her about what it would take to bring the boys and for me to go to seminary because she didn't marry a pastor. She married an actor, right? And she was a director. So we were fine, right? Well, we didn't have much money, but we were. You know, yeah. happy doing arts and theater and stuff like that. So that was, um, so if I, if I went to Yale in the seventies, I went to uh, acting school in the eighties. I went to seminary in the nineties. So that's and how it worked. Could you go to seminary in Seattle? No. So I, I went to Columbia theological seminary in Atlanta, which is a Presbyterian seminary an old time Southern Presbyterian church in Atlanta, which okay. was great because my parents were there and my brothers and sisters were all there. And so, and at that point, we had three kids and ended up with a fourth while we were in seminary. Somehow that happened. Um, so we all had a lot of support from family. Even though the, the seminary that I went to, I struggled because I was hearing a lot of ideas that I thought, frankly, were heresy. Hmm. Um, and were your parents supportive of you going to seminary? Yeah, they were, they were thrilled because um, they were both Navy people. Navy officer people. My, my, my mother had been raised where her dad was a submarine skipper and my dad was a submarine skipper. Right. So it was all about enlisted men, which was blue collar, which was shameful or officer material. So the Catholics sort of came a distant third uh, or second to that. 
So, um, so for me going to seminary, it meant for my dad, I'd have a title, right? And I could, as he said, you know, Jim, cream always rises to the top. You <laughs> work hard, keep your nails clean. You can parlay your way up to first church, right? Because he was thinking as an officer, you know, getting a church was like getting a command. I'd be a junior officer. I'd work myself up to a lead post, would be a commanding officer. And then, of course, I wanted the, the flagship, so which would be first pres. And so that was, he was thrilled about that. And my mom, I was going to get to wear a tie because for her, me going to work with my name on my shirt was the badge of shame. I remember my wife having to take her aside at one point and said, will you stop being embarrassed about your son? He's a good man. He works hard. He supports me. He supports the kids. You just need to stop it. Right. Wow. Because it's so, so they were both thrilled for different reasons. Yes. Okay. And, and God led me to a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. That was all full of my parents. They were all Southern, uh, upper middle class. And and so it was a wonderful time for my parents to come and suddenly see their son, not as the help, but as this position of leadership. So wait, so you, okay, so then after seminary, you moved to Knoxville. And how long were you in Knoxville? So that was for six and a half years. And again, it was great for my kids. It was like a little Mayberry neighborhood and they were still around family and friends. And then it was from then that God prepared me and, and taught me the very complex job of being a pastor because it is it is a very com- complicated job. You're expected to be good at so many different things. And then led me back to Seattle um, where I became pastor of an arts-based church. And then that church was such a mess. We actually, God led us to end the church and then take everyone up to Capitol Hill where we started uh, an arts-based Presbyterian church in Capitol Hill, the very neighborhood where my life had fallen apart, the very neighborhood where I discovered grace and God had put me back together again. And, and it's also that, the neighborhood, the the chop zone. It right. is the craziest neighborhood in the country. <laughs> <laughs> it looked really crazy during uh, the it was. 2020 it was. and uh, those years. As, as um, one person said, as I was doing street outreach, he said, where are all the churches? I said, yeah, you're right. This is a neighborhood that really needs a church. But most of the churches were, at least the brick and mortar churches, were led by uh, gay and lesbian people, pastors. Wow. Even, so, even first Baptist. And so how, what was it like doing ministry in Seattle and being up there and, and kind of um, dealing with, you know, these uh, these issues of sexuality and you right. know the and all these issues like what was it what's that i mean you're still you're still there so what has right. that been like over the years and how is it now um well it's it was hard uh and um uh, i found that all of the things that i had learned in growing up and in seminary and in my middle class church in in knoxville uh, and even the church in lower queen anne in Seattle, didn't have enough firepower to really advance the kingdom. Uh, I found that uh, the, the brokenness of a lot of the people that were coming to us was so great, uh, the brokenness because of addiction, and broken lifestyles, the lies that had been sown into the culture were so, you know, normalized. Um, the spiritual warfare was completely off the hook. It was there that I discovered uh, the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and with a robustness that 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 in, that 
enabled me and the church to be able to actually um, further the kingdom. And so tell us, tell us some of this, the, a few of those stories of, of how that played out in Seattle. Like, um, well, um, the, <laughs> boy, there's just so many stories. Um, well, if, if you have, imagine this, imagine, uh, you're a doctor and someone comes to you and they've been shot and you're in the emergency room. And you've been taught about diet and exercise. And you start talking to them about diet and exercise. They're like, well, that's fine. And that's great. And it's healthy, but I'm bleeding out. What do you do? Right. So uh, when you have someone, let's say, that's coming from the streets who is uh, coming out of addiction, you know, is in a recovery program, but they come to you and they have demons clinging to them uh, or they've got, um, you know, chronic health issues. Um, and they have chronic trust issues. What do you do to deal with these, um, these bullet holes uh, that have happened to them in life so that then you can talk to them about diet and exercise? Does that, right. does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had a guy, here's an extreme example. I had a guy coming out of 20 years of Satanism, right? And he'd come to the mission because it's a, a the union gospel mission. Um, because he'd heard, he'd gotten scared by the demons. They'd, they'd unmasked themselves and, and he had seen, it terrified him. So he'd heard something about Jesus. And so he went to the mission and they told him about Jesus. And then he came to church at our church because our church had a lot of folks from the mission that were going there while they were in recovery. So, uh, he had, um, you know, he was, he, he was, he was scared to death because of these demons. Um, and he was infested with them. And wanted to become sober and wanted to walk away from them. But he was had so many of these things clinging on to him. He, they would constantly fill him with rage or fill him with anxiety or fill him with um, just terrible images in his head and things to do. So we had prayer ministry. And, um, and I remember as we were doing prayer ministry to, you know, to bring healing to his soul and bring freedom from casting the demons out. He's just, he's just shaking. He's shaking at this point. We're in the room. We're in my office. He's shaking. And, and I said, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing, I'm not doing well. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, all I want to do is cut myself and drink my blood. And I'm thinking, I said, do you want to? He said, no, but that's the only thing that calms me down. Right. Because the demons were, were blood drinkers. Um, and he went, and they were, they were wanting a blood sacrifice to, to appease them. And it would, they, they, they would take him, you know, or they would take other animals. Anyway, so I said, do you want to do that? He said, no. I said, well, why don't we go after that? And so we did. And we, I went after, and there's, of course, all these dramatics and growling and snarling and running around the room. But, but in the name of Jesus, he was delivered. And, and they came off of him. And then I asked an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and this light came on him where he was almost translucent. He was so full of God's peace. And he looked and he said to me, they're gone. You know, he was just this, it was, it was this, he was stunned. And so then we had this baptism that Sunday where we had a big um, trough of water out on the front sidewalk. And he went under the water and he came back and the sun was shining. The kids were sitting around and everyone was celebrating. And it was just this amazing moment of redemption you where 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 i i had been using tools that were biblical but i had not learned of in church and in seminary um it's almost like 
spiritual malpractice. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to, to, to dog the church. I mean, we have enough people that are doing that. But there's this Western mindset that has robbed us of this power uh, for redemption with signs and wonders that Jesus gave us and the early church practiced and that the church around the world continues to practice and also in the United States to a lesser extent, which is all about bringing the kingdom with signs and wonders that helps us trust God and restore our trust. So that's what I discovered on Capitol Hill. And not just with folks, the extreme examples, also with my elders and deacons who were much more um, together and, and normal. I mean, we had sort of regular lives. I also found that there were deep wounds and also demonic presences that uh, needed to be broken off and wounds that needed to be healed. And now suddenly I began to have tools to deal with that. Wow. And so is that, and so what are you doing? What are you doing now in terms of, are you still doing that, that kind of same ministry right now in Seattle or how has that shifted and because I know you do, you know, you have you have a couple of YouTube channels, which we'll talk about. But uh-huh. um, uh, what I mean, what talk about what you do, kind of what's the, your days look like right now in Seattle? Well, every day is different. Um, but that's also true for pastors. I remember my first pastor said nobody knows what pastors do. You know, they either overshoot it or undershoot it. But every day is different. Um uh, back after after 11 years on the hill doing church there, God called me to step down and said, you're done. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he said, yeah, you are. And um, so I did. I, you know, we had a, it surprised my elders and you know, they said, OK. And we had a big final service and uh, and I didn't know what was next. But then uh, in the fall of 2017, God opened up um, or called me to partner with uh, a spirit-filled Presbyterian ministry to uh, that had taught me how to do the healing and deliverance and hearing the voice of God. And, and the personal work of the Holy Spirit had taught me all that, and I brought that into my congregation, led me to, to partner with them in order to help um, spread that teaching. And so that's what I've been doing since then. And that's what those videos originally were for, was me going through their core teaching on the person work of the Holy Spirit and um, putting them in a format that is uh, more succinct. And also as an actor, uh, I, I had a better presentation than the director, who's, I like to say, I love our director. He's brilliant, but he's built for theater and not for film. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Because theater, you need to have exaggerated movements because people are far away, but when you put that on, on on a film, film uh, uh, exaggerates movement. And so he's a little scary. He's a little off-putting on film. Brilliant guy. And I love him to death, but I I knew a little bit more how to do that. And so that's what I'm doing now. I am going around. In fact, that's why I'm here. I'm actually in Canada right now. Um, Just led a, uh, a meeting, uh, a weekend on the person work of the Holy spirit outside of Toronto this past weekend. Oh, nice. Well, the, I mean, the way I discovered you and I, I, cause I somehow you're a video of you popped up and I'll tell um, you what happened. I, God, God told me to send it to you. Oh, I, is that I, what I, happened? I, really, I know it's hard to say God told me, but I really felt I've been so blessed by your ministry. And I really felt Beckett needs to hear this because, because of what you do. And then what happened is suddenly people started watching it. I was like, what, 
what happened? And then I, I tuned into your program and found out that, that you had tweeted it. And so yeah. your following uh, started watching it. And then I got a lot of hits. So, ta- so talk about what's, what did you talk about in that video? So, um, yeah, the, I've, I started some confessional videos this year of lessons that I learned at Capitol Hill. And the one that I um, talked to you about was uh, talking about how do you communicate uh, sexual boundaries within the church? And what I had learned on Capitol Hill or what I had tried to do in Capitol Hill, I said, I don't want this to be a front door issue or a, a litmus test on whether you can come into the church or not. I wanted people that were gay and lesbian and people that had, they were open and affirming to be part of the church, meet Jesus and then let these sexual issues uh, work themselves out um, on down the road, but not the yeah. front door issues. And that was my theory. And so while I would, I would, I was clear in terms of where I stood that, that the Bible, that my belief is that the Bible teaches one man, one woman in marriage, and that you have uh, it's chastity outside of that one man and one woman, chastity and singleness are outside of that. Um, that that wasn't a common message because I wanted that to be more a one-on-one message or within a room full of people so it wouldn't feel like you were sort of pontificating from on high. And what I found out is that that wasn't an effective approach. Um, I, I found that what happened is that what actually happened is that the culture is just pounding us with this LGBTQ um, dogma. Ideology, yeah. Ideology, right, with its, its, its catechism and its saints and sinners and, and inquisition. I mean, all of it. It's a very cohesive and a very um, evangelical movement. And it's within the church as well. You have, you have people that are really looking for, you know, for, for affirming gay and lesbian people with an evangelical zeal. And, and, that, and that by my not being more clear about that from up front, that it actually created confusion. Yeah. I would have people coming into the church that thought, oh, this is a loving church. This must be affirming. It's in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. So, of course, it is. And then they would come to love the people. They would love the music because we had such a loving congregation. And then they would hear something from me up front and they would go, uh oh. And they would feel hurt that it was a bait and switch. Right, right. And so what, what I discovered, and of course, this was what I titled the, um, the video, is that clarity is kindness. Because what I also found is that our youth were being swept away by every other media form and, and public schools and now our government uh, into the LGBTQ uh, way of thinking. And that by my not being more clear, I had not done a disservice for them. I didn't do a disservice. I did a disservice for people that were gay and lesbian coming into the church. And then also I found out that there was a struggle going on in the church in terms of trying to push it uh, towards being open and affirming. And people were really hoping that they could champion that. And again, by my not being clear, I think there was a lot of frustration that they experienced um, because we, we we were very loving, but we weren't one way or the other. We ended up becoming a mix. So the, the purpose of the video was really to communicate to people who are feeling, you know, convinced that the Bible says one man, one woman, and that's the boundaries for sex and for marriage, but are feeling shy because they don't want to have their head taken off. And maybe they're thinking, I can be kind. And I'm saying that's not kind. You need to be clear. And so uh, so you did the video. What was the response to it from from your from the people in your church or what was the re- reaction to it? Um, (laughs) 
Well, I've uh, I've lost fam- I've lost I've lost relationships, and I've had a lot of people affirm it. You know, I've had what you would think what happens when you really make a stand on something like that. Uh, I have some people that no longer talk to me, and I have some people that are been very encouraged and very um, affirmed. So yeah, it's been it's been costly. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean that's. Uh... I mean, the video, I, I love the, the artistic value of the video. You, you, you kind of cut to nature and you cut back to yourself. I, it's a very soothing kind of way to do it. It's chill. It's like you, Beckett. You're so chill. <laughs> I love it because there's so much drama around sexual issues and people get so either mad or angry or hurt or whatever. And so, but just to have a nice calm voice and say, this is what I think is going on here. You know, you don't have to believe it, but this is what I think the Bible says. That in part is part of the message. And is, is, do, you, do you think they're in Seattle right now? Is there like a revival going on or is it what's happening in terms of God's move in Seattle? Um, yes, I, I, I think there is. I've, um, I'm part of a new church called the, actually it's not new. It's been around for nine years, but it's a, a spirit-filled church called the Pursuit Northwest. And there's a lot of young people and there's a lot of calling out after God. A lot of healing, a lot of deliverance, a lot of people being restored, uh, a very clear gospel message, and they're calling for revival. Um, I'm part of several prayer groups that have been meeting for years. Uh, my, my wife actually had a wonderful calling uh, during COVID where she said, um, you know, everyone is talking about how terrible Seattle's become. It's become an angry town. We're defunding the police. There's a lot of a lot of people coming like that. A lot of people were leaving town because they said Seattle's dying. And she said, no, I, I love this town. Uh, I want, let's stay. And so we started, she started doing prayer walks downtown. And then I discovered that also that there was a several prayer meetings praying for revival, which I become a part of. And we're praying, we're saying, no, Lord, come. You've revived us before, revive us again. And so there are beginning signs of this happening again in this town. And I think God wishes to do it because he, he loves to use the most unlikely in order to do his big works because it brings him glory. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that kind of happened at my church when I got saved in 2009. Uh-huh. It was like this God did this kind of big work in Hollywood where, I mean, all these people were coming to faith in Christ and coming right. to, you know, my church and other churches. And it was like, it was wild to see. I mean, it was like, you know, we were, I think it was, we, when I joined my church, it was like a thousand people. Then it went to like 3000 and it was, it was why it was amazing to see God moving in this, in the really big way in LA. Because before we had a very clear message from up front, a very clear gospel yeah. message. It was biblically based and very probably clear. long sermons too. But yeah. One hour sermons, expository. Yeah. Right. Right. Expository and just lots of scripture and, and with yeah. a lot of passion. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been amazing to see what God's doing in, in very unlikely places like Seattle, Los Angeles. Like, you know, it's like who, who would have ever thought that um, I would move to LA and eventually get saved here? Like, I mean, the, you know, my parents, my family would have never thought that, you know, like Beckett's moving to LA, like, oh, he's gone for good now. He's, (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. He's with his people now. That's it. Yeah. And and God's like, no, I'm going to pull you out of that and, and into my kingdom. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So wait, where I'm going to link to below to that video that we talked about the, um, the one that I retweeted. Clarity is kindness. Or the one that I tweeted. Yeah. Um, Clarity is kindness. And where else can people find you? Um, well, the best place, uh, there's a couple places. One is dunamisbasics.org. Dunamis, uh, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, basics. And dunamis is the Greek word for power. And that is the, the core curriculum of the presbyter, of the spirit-filled presbyterian ministry that I'm with. And that's, that's, and that's stuff for congregations and small groups for individuals. Um, uh, also PRMI. Uh, Presbyterian Reform Ministries International. That's the group that I'm with. We have healing and deliverance workshops, strategic intercession. Uh, we teach all the dunamis around the world uh, in terms of, of, of uh, online and in person. Uh, so that's the group that I'm, my call is really to extend the reach of that ministry. Because what we have here is um, it's the ministry of the word and the ministry of the spirit coming together. So you have good, solid reform teaching, which just means back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about all this stuff? The Holy yeah. Spirit, signs and wonders and everything and healing, deliverance. And then um, and then the Spirit, where it is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit that brings these teachings to life, where it's not just theoretical knowledge, it's actually lived experience. And that's that's what we're seeing breaking out around the world. And, uh, and that's... And that's what I'm seeing with the pursuit. And that's what I guess you're experiencing down in Hollywood. But that's what these teachings are. If you want a good, solid, biblical basis on all of this stuff, signs and wonders, go to those uh, websites. I love it. Um, and contact me. I've got a group and we'd be happy to talk to you about that and come to your church and see if we can help, you know, get it yeah. started. That's awesome. Well, thank you, James Carney, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and Beckett, uh, bless you in your ministry. You, you're, you are a witness to the gospel that is, uh, it's just like water on dry ground. Thank you. Thank you. Well, praise God for that. Um, so guys, thank you so much for watching and we just check those links out below and we will see you next time on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.